you basically just said that you had dreams and then your kid came along and your dreams got crushed. My daughter is not a dream killer. That's not what she is. I had a dream to travel the world for a year. My daughter was the catalyst to make me do it because I wanted her to know from my example that she could do the same things, right? Whenever it's her turn to dream, whenever she has something big and some huge goal that she wants to accomplish, she can do that. So for me, it wasn't my daughter's here. I can't do it now. It's my daughter's here. I must do it now. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, an award-winning podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman with Trinidadian roots, podcaster, business strategist, and entrepreneur based in Valencia, Spain. Hey everyone, welcome and welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for this week's episode. As y'all know, we just launched season four of the podcast. I cannot believe that we are at season four. We are steadily arriving to episode 100. Can y'all believe that? 100 episodes of this very fine podcast. And in celebration of that episode and of this season, I want to do a couple of things. One, I want to do another Ask Me Anything episode. I did one for Build a Business Abroad, so I definitely want to do that. And so if you go to the description of this episode, you'll see a link that says Ask Me Anything. I'd love for you guys to ask me anything at all about Flourish in the Foreign, about moving abroad, living in Spain, about any of the guests that I've interviewed, about building a business, about anything at all, about podcasting. I would love to do another Ask Me Anything episode this season. I would. I'm not sure if it's going to be the 100th episode, just to be honest. I'm not sure if it's going to be that one. But... It'll be probably around our third anniversary. Yes, 100 episodes, three years in this thing. Let's do it. Another thing I want to get some of your feedback on is that I've been asked many times in this past year about when is Flourish in the Foreign doing an event? I've been asked to do an event here in Spain, like a meetup. I've been asked to do one stateside. And I just want to like gauge y'all's opinion on that. So if you'd be interested in a Flourish in the Foreign meetup, slide in my DMs, IG, Twitter, wherever, reply to one of my emails, or drop in the Ask Me Anything link and tell me like, where would you want it to be and what would you want to do? That's really important because the reason why I haven't done anything like that is because I'm an introvert. So I'd be like, what do y'all want to do? <laughs> like, I don't know. So if you guys gave me some ideas, some of the things you want to see, people you want to hear from, things you want to do, then I could probably do it because, you know, I've been knowing like lots of people. So I would love to hear what you guys would want that event to look like. Okay. 
because you guys know how much I love all of y'all and I love Flourish and Foreign. I love storytelling. I love Black women's stories. And I think it's just so important to showcase. And although it is a passion project, it is a project. It is labor nonetheless. So please do support the podcast. This is an indie podcast. This is a Black woman indie podcast. That's me. I am the producer, the editor, the everythinger. So support this podcast and tell all your friends and family, maybe your job, maybe a job has like some kind of DEI initiative. Tell them to go ahead and sponsor this podcast. That's what they could do. There we go. Anyway, go ahead and support this podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. Write a review for this podcast on Apple or anywhere else that you listen to the podcast. I'm going to let y'all know that I read every single review and I cry every time I read it. And how about this? I revisit them when I'm feeling like a little bit sad and down. And I will read y'all's reviews from two years ago, however long ago, and it makes me so happy. So please do that if you love this podcast. And please make sure that you're following the podcast across all social media channels. It really is important. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. It really is very important. It's one of those things that's like social proof. You know what I'm saying? So please go ahead and do that. Share the podcast with all your friends and all your family. All right, on to the episode. Season four, episode two. Today's episode is a podcast swap with the Maverick Show. Shout out to Matt, the host of the Maverick Show. And I'm excited to do this one because Matt really does interview the most interesting location independent entrepreneurs and world travelers. So if you're looking to meet some long-term digital nomads who globetrot on their own terms and learn about the resources, tools, hacks, and practices that can help you take your business, travel, and lifestyle to the next level. you want to tune into his podcast. Plus, he has so many podcast episodes. He is truly an OG digital nomad and an OG podcaster. So shout out to Matt for doing this episode swap with me. The episode that we are featuring today was originally published in 2020, and it features Libria Jones, who is a location independent entrepreneur, author of the travel blog Wander Woman Inc., and co-founder of Wandering Moms, a community of over 20,000 women who are literally giving their children the world. As a single mother, Libria has visited over 40 countries, and in 2016, she left her six-figure job to travel the world with her daughter for a full year, together with a group of Black Americans she organized. I'm super excited for you all to hear this episode, so I will let Matt tell you all about it. Hey everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Libria Jones. She is a location independent entrepreneur, author of the travel blog Wander Woman Inc. and the co-founder of Wandering Moms, a community of over 20,000 women who are literally giving their children the world. 
Founded in 2015, Wandering Moms provides information, support, and encouragement for mothers to travel the world with their children. Wandering Moms also organizes group trips each year for families, as well as trips for moms only that encourage women to use travel as an opportunity to take time out for themselves. As a single mother herself, Libria has visited over 40 countries, and in 2016, she left her six-figure job to travel the world with her daughter for a full year together with a group of Black Americans that she organized. Currently based in Atlanta, Libria and her daughter take an international trip together three to six times each year. Libria also teaches others how to land remote jobs and incorporate world travel into their lifestyle. She is a sought-after speaker and has presented at Women's Travel Festival, the 7 and 7 Digital Nomad Conference, South by Southwest, and has been featured in Black Enterprise, The Huffington Post, and many other publications. Libria, welcome to the show. Dude, you make me sound so dope. I really appreciate it. I feel like I would just love for you to just follow me around and say these things about me. Well, you are so dope. So you deserve a dope introduction. And I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I was thinking about how long we've known each other. And I want to say that it is almost three years. Three years? Yeah. We go back. Yeah, we do. We go back. And you actually organized the work travel trip that I participated in when we went to Nairobi, Kenya for a month in 2018, which was one of my highlights of the entire year. It was amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. I will tell you this, you know, I I didn't get to go on that trip with you, right? One of my community managers ran it for me and I just kind of helped from abroad. I spent the whole time like super jealous of you guys. (laughs) You guys were having such a good time. I almost left the group chat because I just was so jealous. It was amazing. It really, really was a special experience. And we were based in Nairobi for the month. And then I did a side trip to visit a friend of mine, a Ugandan friend of mine in Kampala. And then part of our group did a group trip to Tanzania. And we went to Dar es Salaam and we went to Zanzibar. And the whole thing was just an incredible month. And that actually inspired me to want to visit West Africa. Mm Mm-hmm. Because prior to that, I had only been to South Africa, and then I had been to Egypt and Morocco and North Africa. So when I went to East Africa, you know, we were going out. I mean, like, you know, my friend in Kampala was taking me out to all of these nightclubs and all this. And I'm like, you know, shazamming all of this music that I'm hearing and everything. And then you were with the DJ. You traveled with a DJ. That's right. One of our participants, DJ Fab Rock, big shout mm-hmm. out from Harlem, was with our group and she got on as the headline at the premier club in Dar es Salaam, which is the capital of Tanzania, and was the first female DJ ever to headline in that club. So we all rolled in with her as an entourage. It was ridiculous. It was amazing. I got chill bumps because that was just such a dope, like it could not have been more perfect. It's such a dope situation. It was ridiculous. It really was. It really was. And so what one of the things that I did is I really sort of connected with all the Afrobeats, you know, that I was hearing throughout that time in East Africa. And I started to look up these artists, mm-hmm. you know, and as I started looking them up, maybe half of them or so were locally from that area, but at least 50% they're from Nigeria, Nigeria, mm-hmm. Nigeria, Nigeria, Nigeria. I was like, whoa. So like, I'm like, man, I got to go to Lagos. I got to go to Nigeria. So I literally at that point started planning after your trip, I started planning a West Africa trip. And then last year, 2019, I organized some folks that wanted to roll to that region. 
And I actually spent about five months in Africa last year. I did two months in Cape Town, which I had already been to before as well. And then I went to West Africa for three months and I did Lagos for a month. I did Accra and Ghana for a month, quick swing through the Ivory Coast. And then I did Dakar in Senegal for a month. And the trip just blew my mind. It was unbelievable. But you also went to West Africa last year as well. Not the same time as me, but you also went to Ghana, right? Yeah, I, my daughter and I went to Ghana. We were in South Africa for a week running a trip for Wandering Moms and took advantage of already being on the continent. And the week after, we flew to Ghana to stay there for a week to experience the year of return, right? So and it was just amazing. It's now on my daughter's list of favorite places that she's been. It is on mine as well. I will mm-hmm. tell you, you know, I've been having that traveler to traveler discussion, you know, when I meet people that travel and they're like, oh, what are your top handful of places you've ever been? And I'm consistently naming Accra in Ghana and I'm mm-hmm. consistently naming Dakar in Senegal as well because they were just really special experiences. But can you share a little bit about the year of return, you know, what that was and then what your experience was like, especially with your daughter? Yeah. So last year marked the 400th year since the first captured Africans were taken from the shores of Ghana. And I think Ghana, the shores of Ghana saw the majority or the highest number of captured Africans being taken from the continent. There's a whole lot of slave castles built along the coast of Ghana that were for the purpose of housing soldiers and housing captured Africans for months at a time before they left. And so one of the things that the country did last year was to commemorate that year and to offer for all of the African descendants across the diaspora to come back, right? To return, you know, which was a dream of a lot of the people that left, a lot of the people that were taken. The dream was for them to return home. And so it was commemorated as a time for us to come back, reconnect with where we started from, but also to heal some wounds, right? Because perfectly honest, the Europeans didn't take us on their own. They had help from people that lived there, from tribes that that were indigenous to that area. And so it was twofold, right? It was a let's come back. Let's learn about our history prior to slavery, because for a lot of Black Americans and even probably Black folks in the UK, those history lessons started slavery. Every time we talk about Black people in this country, the beginning of that conversation and the beginning of that history lesson is slavery. And that's just not where my people started, right? And so... It was important for me to go home, to go back. I say home, I don't think that I'm Ghanaian. (laughs) I think I'm actually Nigerian. But it was important for me to go back and important for me to take my daughter back so that, you know, our story does not start at slavery. A, because it's just not true. And B, because it's a sucky story, (laughs) right? It's It's not where we truly started. And so it was an incredible experience from that perspective. It's also an incredible experience because you know this, Matt, The Africa that they've shown us all our lives does not look like the Africa we saw when we got there, right? And so being in Ghana, being there, being in Accra and being in other towns and cities in Ghana, you know, my daughter got to see the differences between what she's seen on television versus what Accra truly is and what Ghana truly is. So it was a very, very special trip, A, from a heritage and history perspective and B, just from a perspective of expanding our knowledge, right? Expanding our knowledge, expanding what we know and just feeling connected. There's not many places where I get to go where I'm in the majority. And I love all people, 
right? Love white people, love Hispanic folks, Latinos, everybody. I love everybody. But it was just really crazy to like go several days and only see black people, only see people that look like me. Like it's, I just have never been in the majority in my entire life for the most part. So it was just, I mean, all around a really great trip, great food, great people, music. And my daughter got to play soccer. We got to meet up with a soccer coach so she could play soccer. So it was just perfect trip, perfect trip, perfect timing. That's amazing. And what were your daughter's reflections on it? Can you just share a little bit about her age and, you know, and so forth? And then I would love to hear kind of what her experience was like and how she reflected on that experience afterwards. Yeah. So my daughter is 16. She'll be 17 in a few weeks. Crazy enough. Every time I say that out loud, like I just, I don't even know what to think. I had a kid 17 years ago. She liked the vibe, right? She just loved the vibe and the energy there. We walked around the markets the one of the biggest market, I can't remember the name of it, but the huge market in Accra, we walked around there and there's just so much energy and just so many things and so many people. And I think that she really loved this sense of protection that a lot of people had for us and the sense of just you're at home. You know, everybody called us sister, 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 and everyone was just so nice and embracing. And I think that she just, we've traveled the world. We've been to so many places together and so many places that she's been. My daughter is very introverted and very shy. So many places that she's been, she stands out and she's different, right? When we were in Prague and she played soccer there, she definitely stood out. <laughs> we, we walked into a stadium, a college stadium full of people practicing different things. They were practicing track and practicing tennis and all kinds of stuff. We were going to soccer practice and everywhere we walked, people would stop and turn around and stare at us because we were the only Black people there. And so there are so many places that we've been that she stands out and she's different. And I think she felt so connected because she looks like the people there. And not just because of her skin, but because of her features. She's got high cheekbones and large lips and almond-shaped eyes, right? She looks like the people there. And I think that made her feel so connected. I also think that one of the things that she loved is or enjoyed or appreciated, I think appreciated is probably the right word, is getting to know the history of where our descendants started from and not a watered down version of it, right? So in school, they're taught a version of slavery and they're taught that unit for maybe two weeks, right? And it doesn't just go into the level of detail that we went into in these tours. I mean, you can hear about slave castles and you can hear about the capture and you can hear about the, the, the ships and the boats. It's another thing to just stand in the room where these people who were terrified, who didn't speak the language, who were afraid, who were captured, who had no idea what was about to happen to them. It's a whole nother thing to stand in those rooms where they stood. And so I think for her, it was that lesson come to life in a very different way than she could ever have been taught in school. So I think, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why she felt so connected and why she loved this trip so much. But I'd say that was probably the biggest, the biggest reasons. That's so amazing. Yeah, I agree. I went up to Cape Coast as well from Accra and did that, you know, tour as well. And you go and you stand in those rooms and it is just an experience I think every human being should have. Yeah. Every human being should have that. You know, what was interesting about that tour, Matt, is... When we got to one of the castles, because we did two of them, when we got to one of the castles, there was a tour already happening that we could join. But the tour guides stopped us first and said, there are white people on this tour. Do you want to go with them? Or would you rather wait? Because they knew how 
in their minds, they knew how important it was for us to be able to experience that in a safe space without anything else, with just people who get it. You know, I'd never experienced that before. No one has ever done that on a tour before. And so, I mean, we were fine with it. We said, yeah, we can go on the tour. But I do appreciate that they asked that question because not everybody would want to experience that with non-Black people, to be quite frank, right? Wow, that's amazing. And then, so you just went to Ghana, you went back, you did not travel further around West Africa on this particular trip? Not on this particular trip, but we planned to come back. Actually, we were supposed to be back in Ghana this summer so that she could do some intensive soccer training. Unfortunately, COVID, I have a goal, a mission, a goal to get back to the continent once every year. My original goal was to go to a different country every year. But next year, I'm thinking about taking my daughter to Kenya because she has not been there. So we're doing South Africa again next year. We pretty much go to South Africa every year, but we may leave South Africa and go to Kenya this time and maybe stop by Tanzania, which would knock off another one of my lists that I have not been to. I really want to go to Nigeria, but if I go to Nigeria, I need to be there for like a month. (laughs) So I need to work that out. You do. Yeah. And I think going towards the end of the year, towards the festival season in Nigeria, I have a feeling I went in the summertime, so I didn't even see the high season, you know, when they have all the music festivals, but I I have only heard that it would be just, uh, it has been unbelievable. So that's probably when you want to do it. But Libria, I would love now though, to kind of go all the way back and talk a little bit about where you grew up and how your interest in travel developed. Like as a kid growing up, how long have you had this desire and interest in travel? Where did that come from? And what was your upbringing like? I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, which is the capital of Florida. Crazy enough, a lot of people don't realize that, but it is the capital of Florida. And it is about 20 minutes from the Georgia state line. So it's basically South Georgia. They call it North Florida, South Georgia area. And probably another 30 minutes from the the Gulf Coast. So landlocked, but not far from the coast. And growing up, we went on trips quite often, actually, growing up. But they were all road trips. And they were all within two to four hours away. Every once in a while, we would go to South Florida to visit my family down there. But growing up, I thought traveling was really something that rich people did. Like getting on planes. And going out of the country was something that rich people did or people that were from other places. If you're not rich, you're getting on this road trip for four hours and you're just going to whatever is four hours away from your house. But I read a lot growing up and there were always stories about different places that people had been, you know, Paris, even LA. And I just always kind of dreamed about doing the things that people in the books did or going places that people in the movies went. I just always felt like there was so much more than Tallahassee. There was just so much more than Tallahassee where the tallest building is 22 stories high. And I've always been just very outgoing and loved to meet new people. And the idea of traveling really just made me feel like there were just so many more people out there to meet. There's just so many more people in the world to get to know and to experience kind of the life that they live. I think it was just out of a sense of curiosity and a desire to, I don't know, make more friends. That's amazing. And then from there, so you grew up in Tallahassee, and then you went to college at FAMU. Can you talk a little bit about your experience there and your choice of FAMU and how that sort of contributed to your life path and trajectory? Yeah, FAMU, man. Oh, God. So I did not want to go to FAMU at all. I had zero desire to go to FAMU. Really? 
yeah, it's in my hometown. My mom works there. My grandmother worked there. Like, I didn't want to go there. I want to get the hell out of Tallahassee. Like, I was looking at either Georgia Tech or Duke or Michigan State. Quite honestly, an HBCU wasn't even on my list. I was trying to go to a top engineering school. And fun fact, FAMU actually is a top engineering school. But I just wanted to get out of Tallahassee. That was my goal. But my senior year, I changed my mind about engineering and had no real plans. And I freaked out a little bit. I'd been planning for college since summer before my 10th grade year. So I freaked out a little bit because all my plans were out of the window. And Dr. Humphreys, who was the president of FAMU at the time, told me if I made a certain score on my ACT, he would give me a full scholarship. And my mother could not afford to pay for me to go to college. She told me growing up, you're going to college, period, and I'm not paying for it. So (laughs) just make sure you keep your grades up so you can get a scholarship. And Dr. Humphreys offered me a full scholarship to FAMU. And at the time, their business school was world-renowned, stellar. FAMU was college of the year because of the business school. And not Black college of the year, just college of the year because of the business school. And I got a letter that all SBINs get (laughs) from the dean of our business school that says, Dear Superstar. And so I decided to go to, to FAMU. And the beautiful thing about being there is growing up in Tallahassee, and I went to all Black schools, majority Black schools growing up. And unfortunately, historically Black and poor has been, have been synonyms, right? For a lot of reasons. But that also means that I went to the most economically disadvantaged schools in my city. That also meant that I really only knew two types of Black people, poor Black people and middle-class Black people, and that's it. But when I got to college, I just got exposed to so many different people with different backgrounds. One of my friends, her dad was Akeem Olajuwon's lawyer. Another one of my friends, his mom is Judge Hatchet. She's a show. She's a show on television, you know? And so I just got exposed to people that were from all over the place and had such interesting backgrounds. And in college, I decided I wanted to do an internship in Spain because one of my friends was doing it. And I don't think that I had ever thought of it as a possibility, me going out of the country as a real possibility until I got to college. And I met people who had traveled with their families out of the country. I met people who were from other countries. I had a friend from China who was in one of my classes. And then I had met people who were trying to do internships in friggin' Spain and London. One of my friends did an internship in London my freshman year. I just didn't even think it was available to me at all until I got to FAMU. Wow. And then from there, how did your international travel trajectory take place as you were starting to sort of realize that some of this stuff might be possible for you personally? How then did you go about starting to travel? It wasn't until after I got pregnant, after I had my daughter, that I took my first actual international trip. (laughs) I remember in college, this is before my daughter, this guy I was dating got an internship in New York. And I was trying so hard to save up money to go see him in New York. And I just couldn't do it. I didn't necessarily have the resources. I didn't have the resources to find like good deals, good travel deals. I think I assumed that it was very expensive. And I think I lacked the belief that I could be someone that travels a lot. Right. And so if you don't believe it's possible, then it's a little bit harder to make it happen. I think that was part of it. I just didn't see myself as a person who picked up and flew to New York or to LA or Chicago or anything like that. And we're just talking flying somewhere in the US. Up until I was 25, I was on two planes my whole life. My mom flew me to Miami when I was a little girl. I might've been five or six. 
And then the second plane I was on was coming back from Ohio on internship. And that's it. So I just didn't see myself as someone who could travel. And therefore, I didn't necessarily pursue it until after I had my daughter. I think I was 25. My daughter was 16 months old. And my best friend and I were like, screw it. We're going to go on a trip. Like, it's happening. We're going somewhere. We decided we were going to go to Jamaica. And this was like back before you needed a passport to travel. To Jamaica, you could like go with your birth certificate. And so I decided to get a passport anyway, because I wanted that stamp. I wanted to commemorate the trip. I wanted to commemorate this as my first trip out of the country. And my best friend decided against it. She was like, I'll travel with my my birth certificate. So I went and got my passport and we saved up. I think we saved up like $1,200 for the flight. And I remember this was back when like Expedia was the place that you went to search for travel trips. And we end up finding a five-day trip to Jamaica, flight and hotel included, for $800, $810 to be exact. And we had saved up $1,200. So boom, heck yeah, I'm buying this flight. Heck yeah, that was my first trip. I was 25 years old. And then shortly after that, a coworker, her dad had a timeshare in Aruba. And so she offered to take me and a couple, a few other coworkers to Aruba. And all we had to do was pay $300 for the flight. And because I had saved up $1,200 for the other trip and it was only $800, I had $300 to buy that flight. So I took my first two international trips in the same year. And when I came back, a coworker tried to shame me for going on those trips without my daughter. He basically told me that it was extremely selfish of me to travel without my daughter and that as a new mom, I needed to understand that I have to make sacrifices for my daughter and my life is no longer my own. Wow. How did you handle that? So at the time I was a single mom, I was working full time and I was in grad school full time as well. So I was doing a lot. I was doing the most. I nodded respectfully because in his mind, he was giving me valuable advice and he had given me valuable advice previously. Right. I think I respected his opinion, but I told him, I I said, you know something, I've been making sacrifices for this little girl since before she got here. And I know I'm going to be making so many more sacrifices for her for the rest of my life. But make no mistake, this is my life. She's a part of it. My life is still mine. She's a part of it. And considering all of the things that I do on a daily basis, I deserve to take a break. And truth be told, happy women make good mothers. And I intend to be a good mother and a happy woman. And he left me alone after that. (laughs) (laughs) He left me alone after that. And that's a lot of the message and the importance of my community wandering moms so that women know that, you know, it is okay for us to take time to ourselves. You know, it's all right to step back so that you can refresh and so that you can be reminded of who you are as a person. I'm not just a mother. Libria was Libria way before my kid came along and, (laughs) and will always be Libria. You know, it was disappointing that this man chose to say that to me you know, thankfully, I grew up with a good example of that. My mother's always taken time for herself. If I had been someone different, and it was so early in my journey as a mother, that that could have had such a lasting negative impact on me. And what's very frustrating, what's mostly frustrating is, had I told him that my husband and I had taken a trip, he wouldn't have thought anything of it. He probably would have commended me for like, recommitting to my marriage, especially with a new baby. It's like only when moms decide to do something that benefits just them and no one else, that's the only time people have judgments for them. I've never heard of a man getting dad shamed for going on a a guy's trip. Never once. And I think it's amazing that you have created this entire 20,000 plus 
person community of wandering moms. And I would love for you to go a little bit deeper into that now in terms of what the offerings are in terms of both supporting of moms traveling with their kids and sharing that travel experience as part of their parenting. And then also the moms using travel as an opportunity to take time for themselves. And I would love to hear a little bit about how all that developed and then what you offer to moms in both of those areas. Yeah. So the big theme or the big goal or the big reason, crux, whatever, passion for wandering moms is two things. And they're both bred of what other people have to say about motherhood. So you'll hear people say all the time, you know, you better travel before you have kids because it's over after that. Or people say, I choose, you know, travel over kids, right? There's all these articles floating around about how, you know, people are choosing to not have kids so they can travel. And I don't begrudge anybody that choice, right? If you don't want to have kids, please, by all means, do not have kids. (laughs) Just don't do it. But make no mistake, you don't have to choose between the two. And so that's one of the big points of Wandering Moms is just proving to everybody, proving to women that having a family does not ground you from a perspective of you can't go anywhere now, right? It's just, there's more logistics involved, but travel is accessible to you even after you have children. And let's add on to that. You should do it without your kids from time to time because everybody just needs a break. Your kids need a break from you. You need a break from them. And every time we go on trips without our kids, whenever we do our mom's only trips, these women come back home so refreshed and so just re-energized and ready to go back to giving 100% to their families, to their spouses, to the jobs. My daughter will tell you that I'm much more pleasant when I come back. (laughs) When I come back from a trip, I am much more pleasant to deal with when I come back from a trip. So, yeah, that's the big deal about Wondering Moms. It's about, you know, not buying into the rhetoric that once kids come along, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't travel. Can you talk about some of the trips that Wondering Moms has organized, where they've been and what some of the highlight experiences have been for you? Yeah, I can. I'll say one more thing, too. So we definitely do trips. The thing that I love most about our community is that it is a community as well. So you've got so many women in there that have been so many places and are so open to sharing their experiences and education and tips. We share a lot of resources and education and tips on our website and in the community as well. So I love that, you know, we do trips. And I also love that we have this encouraging, supportive and resourceful community as well. And some of the trips that we've done. So we always do a Mother's Day trip. And that's hands down my favorite trip of them all. And it started out just being a weekend, like three or four days. It has grown to be a week and it it pretty much sells out every year. And the idea of that is as a mom, like the one day, the day that's set aside to celebrate me as a mother is not the day that I want to do the job of mothering. I do not want a mom on Mother's Day, just like nobody wants to work on Labor Day. You have people all the time asking us, why wouldn't you want to spend Mother's Day with your kids? I spend every other day with them. That's why (laughs) I don't, I just don't want to do this job on that day. And it started out as a joke. I'll be completely honest with you, Matt. This started out as a joke. I have not ever spent Mother's Day with my daughter, like way before Wandering Mom started. I've never really spent Mother's Day with my daughter. I've always said that I'll spend Mother's Day with her when she gets old enough to like, old enough and enough money to like treat me to to a nice Mother's Day. Until then, I will spend it with my mom because I need my daughter to know it's all about me. 
So she would go with her dad on Mother's Day and I would hang out with my mother. But when I started Wandering Moms, when <laughs> me and my business partner started Wandering Moms, there was originally three of us. And I was like, hey, we should do something for Mother's Day. This is a mom's group. And somebody was like, should we do something with kids? And I was like, fuck them kids. <laughs> <laughs> I was halfway joking, but I was halfway serious. <laughs> I was like, fuck them kids. No, nobody wants to hang out with kids on Mother's Day. And my business partner was like, you know what? You're right. She was like, you're right. And so after that, we just decided to throw it out there and say, let's do a mom's only trip. The first year we did Colombia, we did Medellin. Second year, we did Costa Rica. We rented a mansion in Costa Rica. And last year, we rented a castle in France. Nice. And had 40 moms there. And we spoiled the mess out of these women, man. They don't have to pay for it. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to organize. They just show up. You pay for your trip, you show up, and you just get spoiled. We feed them. All your meals are included. We do excursions. We do trips. And on Mother's Day, we get up and we meditate. We do yoga. We have brunch. We have this whole conversation where we just talk about what motherhood means to us, some of the challenges that we faced, give ourselves encouraging words for when it's it's tough because motherhood is tough and we're tough on ourselves. And then we get massages and do spa day. Next year, we are going to Cape Town, South Africa for Mother's Day. And it is going to be ridiculous. You've been to Cape Town. It's like one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Am I right? It is. It's amazing. I mean, for me and personally, you know, I tell people in terms of natural beauty of a city, I think the only place in the world that can rival Cape Town on that would be Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. But other than that, I mean, I think those are the top two most naturally stunningly beautiful cities I've ever seen. And then in Cape Town, of course, you also have right next to it, the wine country, you have Stellenbosch and Franschuk. And it's just like, I mean, come on. Isn't that just perfect for some moms trying to get away from their kids? Like, we can go and it's beautiful. There's beaches, although I wouldn't get in the water. It's freezing. Beautiful beaches, safaris, wine country. It's got everything we could ever want. It does. It does. So we're doing that. And then we do family trips as well. Obviously, we are all about traveling with our kids and helping moms literally give their children the world. And we actually took families, 13 families, I think a total of 40 people, to... Cape Town last year for Thanksgiving. We actually did Joburg and Cape Town for Thanksgiving next, last year. And it was incredible. I'm not just saying it because I ran this trip. I had a good time on this trip and I was working. I was working my ass off on this trip and I still had a good time. That's amazing. We have such a great time on family trips because it's just great to be around people that get it and get why you would want to take. Because, you know, traditionalists, you got your aunties, you got your grandparents, you got your mama being like, why are you taking my grandbaby all the way to Africa on Thanksgiving? And I think people in our generation, people now just are tired of the status quo. They're tired of like sitting around a table on Thanksgiving, just eating dry turkey and talking shit about family members and asking why some such and such don't have a man. You know, I think people are just, (laughs) people are just tired of doing the same old thing. And, you know, our time on this earth is limited, right? And it's just completely time out for waiting till you retire to go and travel or waiting till the kids graduate to go and travel. The time is now. The world is open. Well, not today. The world is, <laughs> the world is not open today, <laughs> on today due to Corona. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are just, nobody, nobody wants to wait anymore, right? It's just, why not? 
why not go? Why not go while we're alive and can move around freely and, you know, have the, the resources and the ability to do it? Just why not? Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying today's podcast swap with The Maverick Show. If you haven't already, be sure to go and subscribe to The Maverick Show. Not only will you hear personal stories from interesting location independent entrepreneurs about their most epic travel adventures, but you'll also hear about their most valuable tactics, strategies, and lessons learned on their journey to financial success, location independence, and lifestyle freedom. Also, Matt is a real estate investor, and if you're interested at all in learning how to invest in real estate to fund your life abroad, he's the guy he's the guy for you so go ahead and check out the maverick show and again shout out to matt now back to the episode well i also want to go a little bit deeper on your take on the importance of travel as an integral part of a parenting strategy and i would love for you to talk about 2016 when you decided to leave your job, take your daughter out of school and travel the world together for an entire year. I guess the decision making, you know, and the parenting choice that was involved with that. And then I would love to hear about what that trip was like and what the experience was like for both of you. Oh, those are big questions. Okay. The desire to travel for a year and why I made the decision to travel for a year. That has had been a desire since I was in college. Remember I said that I wanted to do an internship in Spain, right? So I've been wanting to leave the country for a year since I was like 19 years old. And (laughs) it did not happen for a number of reasons. I'm the biggest reason it didn't happen. But after I had my daughter, like that desire never went away. And it never became one of those things where I was like, well, when she graduates, I'll do it. When she moves out, I'll do it. It wasn't about having to wait. I remember when my daughter and I were watching The Voice, you know, the show The Voice. It's like one of those music competition shows. And, you know, they interview people before. And invariably, every season, there is a kid that talks about how their mother or their dad used to sing and had a dream of being a singer. But then they had me. (laughs) And they had to put their dreams on hold. And I remember my daughter and I watching this one day. And that story popped up again. And she and I looked at each other and were basically like, that's fucked up. (laughs) Like you just called your kid a dream crusher. Like you just, you basically just said that you had dreams and then your kid came along and your dreams got crushed. My daughter is not a dream killer. That's not what she is. I had a dream to travel the world for a year. My daughter was the catalyst to make me do it because I wanted her to know from my example that she could do the same things, right? Whenever it's her turn to dream, whenever she has something big and some huge goal that she wants to accomplish, she can do that. So for me, it wasn't my daughter's here. I can't do it now. It's my daughter's here. I must do it now. And the goal was to do it. Originally, the goal was to do it before she got out of elementary school and kept pushing it off, bought a house, felt like the house was an anchor, couldn't leave, thought I couldn't leave, I should say. And so I just kept pushing it off. And by the time she got to seventh grade, I was like, I really have to get this done. Because if she goes to high school and I try to snatch her from her friends for a year, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a whole problem. (laughs) So 
her eighth grade year, I was like, this is the year that we've got to do it. This is just the year that we have to do it. And so that's pretty much how I solidified that decision to do it then. I knew that I wanted to travel for a year. I knew I wanted to be an expat for a, a year. I couldn't afford it. And I was having trouble. I was originally trying to move to the UAE. Couldn't find a job over there. And ran across another program, the program that you did, right? That took people around the world for an entire year. You move from place to place for every month, right? And I was going to apply for it. And then I found out they don't take people with kids. And I felt attacked. <laughs> I felt slighted. And so I was telling another friend about it. And I was telling her she should sign up for it. And then I, fi- I was finally like, fuck it. I should just do it myself. And I should invite people with kids. I should just create my own version of this for people with children. And me and my daughter just roll out. And that's what happened. That's amazing. I was kind of joking on that one too. That was kind of jo- a joke as well, but it wouldn't leave me alone. And then next thing I know, my wonder year. <laughs> That's amazing. So I want to hear about your wonder year. Where did you go? And what were some of the highlights, both for you and for your daughter? And I would also love just to get kind of your reflections on the alternative non-classroom-based education that a child can get through travel if they're to come out of a traditional classroom setting for a period of time and travel the world instead. How was that experience for you and your daughter? Oh, man. So we stayed in four different countries for three months at a time. I like to get to a place, like really, really get to know the place and make friends. So three months was just a really great sweet spot. So we did Czech Republic for three months. Then we went to Thailand, Chiang Mai, Thailand, Cape Town, South Africa, and Medellin, Colombia. So we did those four countries for three months at a time. And the experience was both wonderful and terrible for my daughter, to be perfectly candid with you. And I'll start with the terrible part, right? So she turned 13 on that trip. She became a teenager on this trip. And at that time, you know, your friends are the most important thing to you in life, ever in life. And it was really, really difficult for her to be away from her friends, right? To be completely away from her friends and to watch them experience all the things that she was going to miss out on. So this was their last year in middle school. So she missed out on middle school prom and, you know, all of those things that prepare you for your transition to high school. So the other piece was she transitioned from traditional school to virtual school, almost completely by herself, which was not a great thing. I did not give her the support that she needed because I was so focused on my business. And so that made it really, really tough for her. But on the flip side, it was amazing for her because, I mean, what kid gets to turn 13 while they're on a trip abroad for an entire year? Like, she got to bring in her birthday in front of the Eiffel Tower because we flew to Paris from Prague for 100 bucks, round trip. And she just got to experience a lot of things that she would never have experienced from the lessons that she got at school. Right. So it's one thing to learn Spanish in class. It's another thing to get to play on a team of girls in Colombia who speak nothing but Spanish. It's one thing to read about Nelson Mandela and his release from prison and the famous speech that he gave. It's a totally different thing to stand in the place where he delivered that speech. It's a whole nother thing to be able to walk by the house that he lived in in Johannesburg. Right. And to walk through the apartheid museum to get a feel or to hey, again, you've been to Cape Town. Some of the effects of apartheid still exist there. 
you know, to get to walk through a township and townships are neighborhoods specifically built to segregate people based on their color and they still exist and they're still very segregated. Right. So for her to learn that from a book in class, actually, now that I think about it, we didn't learn any of that growing up. We didn't learn about apartheid at all. (laughs) And I don't think she has learned about it at all either. She may have learned about Mandela, but that's pretty much it. So she got knowledge that she never would have gotten. And then one of the things that we all do, we all had to do in school growing up was, you know, read the diary of Anne Frank. So she read the diary of Anne Frank while we traveled. I made her read it. And then I took her to Amsterdam to Anne Frank's house. And so it's a totally different experience. You can pull that history off of the pages and just stand in it. You know, my daughter has historically struggled academically. She's doing really great now, but she's just never really been in school that way. And so to see her embrace a history lesson this way was just astonishing. She got completely engrossed in this. You know, we're walking around Anne Frank's house because it's the way it was when they were living there, minus the furniture. And she's describing to me, as if I never read the book, all of Anne Frank's things were. like Her bed was here, the curtain was here. And her brother used to sleep over here and she had this up on the wall. And, you know, my daughter, my daughter who hates school, who definitely does not like history class, has completely embraced history because she gets to stand and walk in it, you know? And she got to stand there and literally look at Anne Frank's diary in her own handwriting. That's just not something that she could have gotten at school at all. That's so amazing. And so by the end of the year, what was your daughter's impression and reflection on the trip. I mean, despite the different things, the challenges that she had on the trip and the FOMO and all that of her friends back home doing things and her being away from them and like those types of challenges, like what was sort of, do you think kind of the net outcome of that trip when she eventually got back and and now later in life as she's reflecting back on it, how does she perceive that experience in that year of her life? She gained a lot of independence on that trip. So I think that one of the things that she appreciated was being able to just be a lot more independent in a very organic way. I let her ride the tram on her own in Prague. Shoot, she used to give me tips about getting around. Mom, you know, if you catch the seven instead of the nine, they'll put you off closer to the co-working space. And I was like, oh, for real, girl, thanks. She got to be a lot more independent on that trip. And I think that one of the things that I appreciated is that in her mind, what's available to her and what's possible for her had expanded so much. So remember I said when I was growing up, I didn't see myself as a person that would be traveling a lot. And so I just didn't think it was an option for me. And I can even go back to some of my family members who have never seen themselves. I'm a first college student, college graduate in my family because most of my family members, my cousins, never saw themselves as college graduates. So they just thought it wasn't available to them. It wasn't an option for them. And what I appreciate about that experience for my daughter is now in her mind, almost anything's an option for her. You know, when we came back, before we even left, I'd started talking to her about what she wanted to do after the year was over. And she was like, you know, I think I might like to go to high school in, in the UK. Here it is, when I was her age, in the eighth grade, (laughs) finishing high school, it never would have occurred to me that the UK didn't even exist to me. I knew it existed, obviously, and I took geography, but it didn't exist in a way in which I could go there 
you know, let alone go to school there, right? And so now my daughter's talking about not just the possibility of going to college internationally or playing soccer internationally, but maybe even going to high school internationally because she just wants to, (laughs) you know? So I think for me, that was like the biggest thing for her. The biggest thing that I could give her was the ability to kind of expand her possibilities and just let her know that they're boundless. And I think the other thing is, I think she got a lot of soft skills too, right? Understanding that everyone is not like you and it's okay. And I think as a result, she's become a lot more compassionate and a lot more open-minded to people. And then the other soft skill I think is just recognizing that, I don't know exactly how I want to say this, but being able to break through communication barriers is, I think, a lesson everybody could learn. And it happens very literally when you're out of the country and you don't speak the same language as other people, right? But the way that translates when you come home is realizing that there may just be a breakdown in communication and where maybe we're just not understanding each other. And we don't have to necessarily get upset about it, but you know, let's try to work through this so that we are speaking the same language, whether we're both speaking English or not. And so I think that that was a beautiful skill. And I've seen, I've literally seen that play out in her communications with her friends and in situations that she's been in in high school. And I think as a result of that trip, she's matured so much. And I'll tell you one of the big results of it, she wants to do it again. She wants to take a gap year when she graduates and she wants to, me and her, to travel for a year again. She wants to do it all over again. But this time without me running a business (laughs) so that she and I can spend a lot more time together. That's amazing. So, Livria, what tips would you have for parents who are listening to this and maybe this is their first time you know, even starting to consider that and thinking like, wow, yeah, that would be amazing to be able to travel with my kid, to travel more with my kid, to travel long term with my kid. But they have those perceptions of those barriers, everything from I can't take them out of school for a year, can I? Or what would that do to them socially? Or, you know, we couldn't afford it. Or, you know, all those different barriers that you've gone through in so far in this conversation. What would be your tip for a starting place for parents mindset-wise, you know, to start actually moving in the direction of exploring this for themselves as a realistic possibility? Oh, man. I think the starting place, I think you called it, Matt. The starting place is a mindset. And that mindset has to be, you can figure anything out. You can figure anything out. I mean, nobody told you how to raise a kid and you are figuring that out. Nobody knows how to do it. No one has yet to crack the code on how to raise a child. We figure this shit out daily, right? My daughter is 16. I'm still figuring this shit out. And to be honest with you, I think that right now we're in such a beautiful time where we all get to truly design our lives. There's so many options available to you. You know, you can do online school, you can do world school, you can do international school, you can do unschooling, you can do homeschooling. You know, parents are so empowered now to truly own their children's education and to drive it the way that they want to. And these kids are thriving because of it. And, you know, don't let anybody tell you that they need, quote unquote, stability. You are their stability. 
The great things about, thing about kids is they are adaptable. Their whole lives are about adapting to the decisions that we make for them as adults. We decide everything for them and they just adapt to it. And so if your life starts to look like we move every four months, then they will adapt to that. You know, if your life looks like we move every month, we go, we're expatriates, we move every month or we move every year, whatever it is you decide to do, your children will adapt to it. I think the only, the other thing that I'd say is don't let other people dictate how you choose to live your life with your children. A lot of people don't make the decision to pick up and leave and expatriate with their kids or pick up and travel or take their kids out of school for a week to travel because they're so afraid of what other people will say to them. And at the end of the day is your life. At the end of the day is your one and only life. And if travel is important to you and it's important to how you want to raise your kids, then that's exactly what the hell you should do, right? I mean, we only get to live once. (laughs) We do not get to do this again. And I would hate for us to get to, to the end of our lives feeling like we didn't do the things we truly wanted to do because of what somebody else thought about it. That's amazing. And in addition to supporting moms that want to travel with their kids in particular, you've also done a lot of really important work in terms of cultivating women's travel spaces and also cultivating Black travel spaces. And can you talk a little bit about those and why those are so important? Yeah. Women travel spaces. I think it's important for women specifically because I don't know. Listen, Matt, I'm a woman. So obviously (laughs) I've been one for a long time, 42 years to be exact. And my perspective has been that people are always telling us what we can, cannot do and should and should not do. And I'm just at a place where I'm just super sick of it. And it gets even worse when you're a parent. It gets even worse when you become a parent. Everybody's got an opinion on what we should be doing. From the time we get our cycles, to the time we hit menopause, everybody's got us on a schedule, on a clock. You better graduate. You better go to college. You better meet your husband in college. You better get married to him two years after you graduate. You better have a baby. And then a year or two after that baby, you need to have another one, right? Everybody's got us on a schedule. From the time we get our cycle to the time we hit menopause, people are telling us exactly what we're supposed to do and when the hell we're supposed to do it. And so for me, Travel has been a way to protest against that traditional view of what womanhood should be. For me personally, it's about taking control of the way my life looks. You know, I've done the traditional things, I've done non traditional things. And for me, the important thing is I've chosen all of them. All of those things have been things that I've chosen. And I I think at first, my mom was a little bit concerned about my quote unquote, flightiness, literal flightiness. But she settled into the understanding that for me, it's me making a decision about what I want for my life. And that does not have to look like the formula that's delivered to us from the time we get our cycles, you know? Definitely. So that's the important part for women, for Black folks, for my Black family. It's about expanding possibilities For me, that's what it's about, just because I think the theme that I've shared throughout this is that I grew up with a very limited view of what was available to me as a person that did not come from a rich family, as a Black person, 
I think only a handful of us had even graduated from high school and I was the only one who graduated from college. And so I think for me and for other Black people, travel has just been a way to expand what's outside of the neighborhoods that we grew up in and the schools that we went to. Though those places are, you know, places that raised us and and taught us so many important things, feeling like I can go anywhere and I belong anywhere is so important, especially in these days and times where we often don't feel like we belong here at home. So for me, I think it's just really, really important that we get to expand our experiences, that we get to see beyond our neighborhoods, that we get to see beyond our country, and that we get the impression that no matter where we are, we belong there, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Can you expand a little bit on that concept about the feeling of belonging and also the concept of safety? I would be interested in your take on as well, you know, in the United States versus, you know, abroad. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that whole concept of safety the other day because, you know, Wandering Moms is a decently mixed demographic. And (laughs) I think that when Black folks think about safety and travel, the first questions we're asking are not the same as the questions that non-Black people are asking. Of course, as moms, we all want to know that there's no crime and all that stuff. But the first thing that a Black person is asking about when they are looking to see if a place is safe is, are they racist? That's the first thing that's on our minds. For sure. Right? And the concept of safety is becomes very, very different when you're concerned about whether or not you're going to get punched in the face for being Black somewhere. And... I think that a lot of non-Black people are probably very surprised to learn that a lot of us, us being Black people, feel more comfortable in other countries than we do in ours. I often get asked, how do I feel about the safety of other countries? And I'm like, listen, I've walked the streets of Haiti at night. I've walked the streets of Kenya. I've walked through the markets, you know, with just me and my homegirl. I've walked around Colombia by myself in the day and at night. And the most uncomfortable I've ever felt is in the backwoods of Georgia, a state that I have lived in for 12 years, right? I mean, just last weekend, my daughter and I were driving to North Georgia to go hiking. And we had to pass all these, pass through all these small towns to get there. And the rest of Georgia is nothing like Atlanta. Let me just tell you that. And we're going through these small towns with all these Confederate flags on their houses. I don't feel safe there, you know? And so I think that a lot of people are very surprised by the fact that a lot of Black folks feel more safe walking the streets of Columbia at night than they do driving through a small town in rural Georgia in the middle of the day. Yeah, I remember it was a few years back, the government of the Bahamas issued a travel advisory to people of color that were residents of the Bahamas a travel advisory against going to the United States because of the threat of police violence that any person of color would experience being in the United States. And they advised their citizens. They put a travel advisory out about that. That's, I mean, that's totally fair. Yeah. hundred percent. Totally fair. But yeah, I think, you know, obviously safety is important to me no matter where I go. Most of the time, about 50% of the time I'm traveling with my daughter when I travel. So I have all of the same safety thoughts as everybody else. My view on it is a little bit different than a lot of people that ask me about safety because I just think that Americans have this false sense of security. And 
our view of other countries is very skewed, right? So something can happen in one city in a country and we've written the whole country off. Don't go to Mexico because people get kidnapped. Somebody may have gotten kidnapped in a city in Mexico, but we would think someone was crazy if they were like, don't go to the United States because they were shooting in Vegas. But somehow we're not able to think of other countries that way, which is strange to me. So for me, it's about what is the safest part of a city? So when I told people I was going to Medellin with my daughter, of course, they think Narcos, you're going to Medellin with your daughter. But, you know, just like there are good and bad parts of New York, good and bad parts of Miami, you know, safe and unsafe parts of Atlanta, safe and unsafe parts of L.A. and Chicago. It's just like that everywhere else we go. And no one ever asks me, is it safe when I decide I'm going to New York? Is it okay for me to take my daughter there or when I'm going to Chicago? Miami. So the same applies when I'm going to Medellin, Colombia. I'm likely going to be in the tourist area of the city. And so it's likely just as safe as a tourist area of Miami, right? I do not plan on selling drugs when I get there. I think we'll be fine. Hundred percent. Amazing. All right, Libria, at this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Ooh, I guess I better be ready. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's do it. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years that you would most recommend people check out? The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. That book was incredible and especially great to read when you're going through some really, really challenging times in your life and in your business. Definitely. We'll link that up in the show notes. What is one podcast you listen to or blog that you read that you'd recommend people check out? Aside from this one? Aside from this one. Oh man, I have to do one, just one. I can only do one. You want two? I do. I I need two. I'll give you two. Go ahead. So one is the Marie Forleo podcast. I'm obsessed with this woman. I think she is amazing. And she's some version of me that I wish I was. But she's the one who coined the phrase, everything is figure outable. I love her. She's down to earth. She curses. I I think she might be my sister. I've got to have to meet her one day. And then Side Hustle Pro. I love that show because it really focuses on and highlights mostly Black women who are doing the damn thing and who have basically turned side hustles into viable businesses. Awesome. What is one travel hack that you have developed over the years you can share with people? The first thing that comes to mind is let the travel gods decide where you're going. I think the first three years of my travel, it was not, I'm going to go to Bali or I'm going to go to UAE. It was, where would the travel gods like for me to go? And I would just go to whatever flight deal popped up or airfare popped up. Like that's where I was going. And that was the way I traveled without spending a whole lot of money. I mean, I went to the UAE for $230 round trip. That's amazing. All right. Who is one person that's currently alive today that you've never met that you would most like to have dinner with? Just one-on-one, you and that person. Could be anybody, author, celebrity, politician, public figure, movie star, anybody in the world that's currently alive today. Perfectly honest with you, Matt, the person that comes to mind in this moment is Morgan DeBond, the woman who started Blavity. Can you share about Blavity? Yeah, Blavity is a news media company that Morgan DeBond built. And I mean, it's a huge media company. They do news. They do mostly blog stories. And a few years ago, she bought Travel Noir. So she is now a media and travel company. And she just launched a retail company too. So it's like everything I want wandering moms to be. 
she's just amazing. And hopefully one day I get to work with her. I love it. All right, Libria, of all of the places that you have now been in the world, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you would most recommend people check out? Medellin, Colombia, whether you have children or not, is an excellent place to be. The weather is perfect. The language is beautiful. The music is amazing. And there is just so much to do. I was there for four months and still did not get to do everything I wanted to do. So Medellin. And it's inexpensive to be there. The second is, I think everybody should go to Accra. I agree. I think Accra is a good place to go. I was about to say Cape Town, but I mean, Cape Town is beautiful, but really it's like the Europe of Africa. Thank you for saying that. Uh, Seriously, Cape Town is very, very different experience from Accra, right? Yeah, especially if you're a tourist, right? Especially if you're a visitor, because you're going to stay in the visitor area. And if you're not careful, you will think that the majority of population is white in Cape Town, and it's not. Yes, which is very, very, very significant, right? Yeah. When Cape Town is really becoming this massive, you know, nomad and expat hub, that is a very important distinction. And I agree entirely. I mean, yeah. in terms of the importance of going to Accra, it's very, very different in that sense, for sure. Very different. Cape Town's amazing. But yeah, I, I think Accra is a great place to go. A, because you will be immersed in a culture that you just would not experience in the US. And B, it's going to reshape your view of Africa right? From what we grew up seeing in those damn commercials with the the starving children. Like it's going to reshape all of that for you. Don't get me wrong, that exists too. But I mean, I think everybody should go to West Africa. It's a crazy experience when you come from the States, right? It's just yeah. a crazy experience for white people to stand out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an important experience. It's a very important experience. I think. Yeah, I I think that everybody should experience being in the minority at least once. It's humbling. And then everybody should get to experience being in the majority. And I'm so glad that I had the majority experience. It feels different, man. Like this is what what y'all feel like in the States. That's cool. (laughs) You know what was interesting though, Livia? And I I would add one nuance to that, right? You know, when white people go to a place like Lagos or they go to a place like Accra, they are in the numerical minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They still have white privilege. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that white privilege still operates and functions even in Lagos or Accra, right? Yeah. So they are a numerical minority, but they are not the minority in terms of, you know, power position, even when they're in those other countries. Oh, absolutely. And that is also ever present. You know, like there's a lot of dynamics that are going on there, you know, to sort of, you know, pay attention to. And that gets into a whole longer discussion about travel ethics for white folks, which we don't have time for on this episode. And I have now interrupted your top three travel destinations. And we're in something that's supposed to be called the lightning round. And we've gone off on a major tangent. So so funny. So since we're on this vein, you know, I was going to pick an Asian country for my number three. I'm going to come here with a surprise and upset. I'm going to throw in Haiti. Everyone should go to Haiti. Nice. My Haiti experience was way too short, but this is yet another example of completely shattering the view that we have of a country. You know, every time I said I was going to Haiti to someone, they were like, oh, you going on a mission trip? Why the, why I got to be going on a mission trip? I can't just want to go to Haiti. Like, (laughs) like, what is this about? Like, 
you know, Haiti is one of those places that so many people think we've got to go and save them. Right? right. And don't get me wrong. There is some extreme poverty like I have never seen before in my life in Haiti. The other thing is there's some extreme beauty like I have never seen before in my life in Haiti. And as long as we continue to recycle the beliefs that this place is poor, we shouldn't go there unless we're going there to help them, then they'll never come out of that kind of place of poverty, right? It should be a travel destination. It should be a vacation destination because it's worthy of it. They've got so much beauty. They've got Basin Blue, which is an amazing waterfall. They've got ridiculously great artists, the music in Haiti, the food in Haiti. So much of the culture that we love in the South, in the States, in New Orleans, all of that originated there. Like it's just I don't know. I can't even explain it. Like, it's just put it on your list, man. Go to Haiti. Experience the two extremes, right? And accept and, and appreciate that extreme poverty and extreme beauty can, can exist in the same place, right? Yeah, it's, I fully, fully recommend everybody go to Haiti and not for a mission trip. Go to Haiti because it's a beautiful place to be. I love that. All right, Livria, what are your top three bucket list destinations, places that you've never been that you would most like to see? Ooh, bucket list destinations. Huh. Tanzania, Nigeria, and, (laughs) you know, I've been there, but I was only there for like a weekend. And since it's the first place I ever wanted to go, a bucket list is I would love to just spend two, three, six months in Spain. Nice. I've been wanting to go since I was 19 years old. And I finally made it there. The first time I went to Madrid, it was just for a layover on my way to South Africa. And then the second time I went was to speak at 7 and 7 Digital Nomad Conference in Barcelona. And I was only there for a weekend. So I'm going to keep it on my bucket list. So yeah, Tanzania, Nigeria, because I believe that Nigeria is where my people came from. Have no true hard evidence of that. (laughs) Aside from these cheekbones and these thick lips. And the little DNA test that I took. But yeah, I would love to be able to go to Nigeria and, you know, maybe even one day trace my roots back there and then Barcelona as well. Yeah, that's real dope. My homegirl, Tiffany Green, who Maverick Show listeners know because she's been on this podcast. I know her too because she came to hang out with us. There you go. Yes, that's right. She did in Cape Town, right? Yeah, we met her in Thailand and she came to Cape Town to stay with us for a little while. Yep. So Tiffany Green also joined me and she was on my remote year trip around the world. And so she and I became very good friends through that. And then she went with me to Lagos in Nigeria last year for the month. She was one of the people in our crew. And I interviewed her on the Maverick show and she did do that DNA research and did trace back to West Africa and what is now Nigeria. And uh, we had a whole discussion about that on the podcast as well, because I interviewed her while we were in Lagos, which was really, really cool. So, Oh man, that is so dope. Yeah. yeah. That's so dope. dope. I've randomly been drawn to Europa culture since I was in college. I took an Afro-Caribbean dance class, got introduced to Europa Then I met a photographer who ended up being a Yoruba priest and introduced me to the derivatives of Yoruba, Lukumi, Santeria, all of those things. And so I've just always been very drawn to the culture. Never even just thought about my family might be Nigerian. Never crossed my mind until I got much older and started traveling. And so now it all makes sense. (laughs) It all makes sense why I was so attracted to the culture. I I firmly believe like all the way in my bones that that's where my people came from. Well, Tiff went with me and we were there for a month together. So jealous. 
in June. And then she went back at the end of the year as well. And she went back in December to Nigeria and also to Ghana. So she went twice last year, but definitely hit us up when you're ready to go and we'll give you uh, some tips on Lagos. You think I want when I will? I absolutely will. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Libria, we are down to the final question of the lightning round. And I've been very, very excited to hear the answer to this question now because I don't know the answer for the last couple of years. So it all comes down to this. I'm going to ask you to name your top five hip hop MCs of all time. And I really don't know who you're going to say. You and I are in a similar age demographic. I was actually a hip hop DJ in the 90s. Really? That's so dope. Yeah, from 91 to 99. And so that's really like my, all of mine are in from that era, right? And so since you and I are in a similar age demo, but you are from the South. I am. So if I were to speculate, I might <laughs> hypothesize that you would have a Southern influence in your picks. Although, depending on what era you were picking them from, if you were doing more earlier 90s stuff, maybe they would be from other regions. But I don't want to speculate. By the way, have you ever publicly declared, does the world know your top five? I've never. I don't know how I have avoided this conversation for so long. Folks, this is a world premiere. I have avoided this question. I mean, like we need a press release. You know, people talk about it on Facebook. People talk about it on Instagram. And I never answer the question. I participate in the conversations, but I never answer the question. This is my first time ever answering this question. Ever. I'm so excited for this. The world premiere, folks. Libria <sighs> Jones, top five hip-hop MCs of all time. Who are they? Can I drop a disclaimer before I give this list? Of course. <laughs> I feel like Pac and Biggie are givens on pretty much everyone's list. So I don't feel like I have to put them in the five. I feel like they're just like standard. Like you can't have a list. Are you saying that you want seven and you want to include Pac and Biggie and you want five more? Is that really what you're asking for? Because I don't think there's anything that's a given. It best be. If it's not, I just can't respect the conversation. Listen, I have interviewed people on this podcast before that have not named one or both of those artists in their top five. So it's Who not are a given. these people? What are they listening to? Okay. All right. You want seven? You want to say Pac and Biggie and then you want to name five more? Is that really what you're asking? That is what I'm asking. All right. Okay. This is the first time I've allowed somebody seven hip hop artists, but go ahead. All right. Because okay. Pac and Biggie are Pac and Biggie. Okay. Ain't no, li- ain't no list without Pac and Biggie. There just isn't. Not for me. Okay. Okay. All right. So my top five after Pac and Biggie <laughs> are Lauren Hill, because it's fucking Lauren Hill. Like, people are still to this day spinning the miseducation of Lauren Hill. You know what I'm saying? Yep. She of made course. the Fugees the Fugees. Certainly. I be Nina Simone and defecating on your microphone. Man, listen. Okay. Number two is DMX. I love that dude. I love him so much. His first album is like one of my favorite rap albums of all time. So DMX. Andre 3000. Yep. Because <laughs> I'm Southern. Like, what do you want from me? I assumed that was a given as well. If you're what do you want in from Atlanta. Me? Right. Jay-Z. Because he's Jay-Z. I mean, I don't feel like I have to explain that one. Yep. And then five is tough for me because there's so many more people that I love, but I'm going to give the number five spot to Common. Nice. Yeah. Just because I I think that this makes it a a much more well-rounded list, you know? 
That is a well-rounded list. That is a geographically diverse list. Well played. Thank well you. Played. I like that. Nicely done. The world now knows. This is this is big. This is big news. <laughs> we can do a press release now or something. <laughs> all right, Livria, I want you to let folks know about all the amazing stuff that you're up to and how they can connect with you, follow you, participate in your communities, and learn about what you've got going on. Yeah, yeah, come through, folks. So what I'm up to, I do teach people how to work remotely, how to land remote jobs. I am relaunching the course on that, but right now I have some free guides on like my favorite places to find remote work and how to get your resume right to apply for a remote job. So you can access all that on wonderwomaninc.com. That's Wonder Woman with an A, not Wonder Woman. WonderWomanInc.com. And then with Wandering Moms, we have a number of trips coming up for 2021. We've got a couple's only trip to Colorado. We've got some family trips. One to Columbia. Matt, we're doing a camping trip in Utah. And we get to sleep in the wagons from Oregon Trail. You remember Oregon Trail? Wow. I'm so freaking excited about this. I don't know what to do. Oregon Trail was that shit when we were growing up. <laughs> you did your work early, so your teacher would let you go play on the p- computer and you play Oregon Trail and your family would get dysentery and die. We are going to go stay in some wagons in Utah next summer with our families. We're also doing a family trip to Barbados and we've got a family trip to South Africa, to Cape Town and Johannesburg next year. We also have three moms only trips. One is to Mexico. Riviera Maya. It's going to be the same trip that I did for my 40th birthday. And I'm going to just tell you it was dope as hell. And then we're doing a mom's only trip to Cape Town for Mother's Day. And then we're doing a yacht trip in September of next year for moms only as well. So those are the trips. You can join the Wandering Moms community if you are a traveling mom or you want to be a traveling mom. You can join the Wandering Moms community on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at wandering underscore moms. And you can follow me on Instagram because I'm fun at Wonder Woman Inc. on Insta. The Wonder Woman herself. Libria, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And for more information about our guest, be sure to check out this episode's show notes on the website, flourishtotheforeign.com. That's where you'll see pictures, a full bio, and ways that you can connect with this guest. Remember, it's not about moving abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about flourishing abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And what I'm saying, it may be a little bit controversial, but I think that's a problem that Black people in America sometimes are not interested in knowing and observing other black realities also so what it means to be black and immigrant in the united states what it means to be black but being black in another white country what it means to be black in uh, already in a diverse country or even in west africa in east africa like those are two completely different regions but both of them have the potential to produce stories that can literally inspire people